Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. Today we want to continue reading about the journey um, of Paul leaving Corinth and then passing Ephesus. Let's turn to Acts chapter 18 and we will read from verse 18 to 22. Acts chapter 18 verse 18 to 22. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for the life of your apostles. We ask then that as we read that you will also help us understand your principles, your ways, the ways of your people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 18 verse 18 Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancre because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the curious questions, issues in this passage was what Paul, why Paul had his hair cut off at Sancre because of a vow he had taken. Now what was this vow about that he had to cut off his hair? Well, we can find a clue in another passage in Acts, in Acts chapter 21, verse 17 to, 20, 17 to 26, um, it is recorded Paul had returned to Jerusalem. And just let me read this passage, um, Acts chapter 21, verse 17 to 26. This is what it says, When we, which is Luke, and Paul and all that, arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had, been, had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, the elders praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law? They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in the purification rites and pay the expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. Now what was happening here? Well, Paul had returned to Jerusalem, and the brothers, the elders, and the Christian believers, they were very glad that he had returned. And when Paul talked, related to them, all the work that had been done among the Gentiles, they were so excited. On the other hand, 
they had been struggling with a different issue. Among the Christians were many Jewish converts, and these Jewish converts believed in Christ, but they also loved their customs. They felt that Christianity was an outshoot of Judaism, and therefore because of that, they should not abandon their traditions completely. But news had come to them that Paul had told the disciples that Paul had told the Christians and the Jews that they no longer needed to circumcise their children or be or live by the customs of the Jews. And this hurt the Jewish Christians very much. And so what they did, they suggested to Paul was that he pay for the expenses of four persons who had made Nazarite vows. Now, this is what a Nazarite vow is, and this definitely re relates to the passage that we read earlier in Acts chapter 18, where Paul had his hair shaved because of a vow. The Nazarite vow was a vow that a person would make for a certain period of time, where he would then um, refrain from cutting his hair, he would refrain from touching any dead animal or dead person, and he would also refrain from alcoholic drinks, especially those made with grapes and certain other fruits. After the that period of time allotted had passed, the net person with the, who had made the Nazarite vow would then shave his head and then pay expenses to buy a ram, an eel, and a lamb for the burnt offering, sin offering, and one other offering. Let me let me see. I can't remember what that offering is. Um, he would give um, a lamb as a burnt offering, a ewe as a sin offering, and a ram as a peace offering. In addition, they would also um, sacrifice a basket of unleavened bread, grain offerings, and drink offerings. So this was all pretty costly. And then finally, they would have the head, sha hair sh head shaved, and then they would place the hair on the fire of the peace offering and offer it all to God. So in Acts chapter 21, verse 17 onwards, the elders in the church were suggesting to Paul that he pay the expenses for all these four men who had made the Nazarite vow. This would have been quite a costly thing to do. But by so doing, he would then prove to the other Jews that he was zealous for the, for the Jewish customs. You see, he, the Nazarite vow, the main, the key to the Nazarite vow was that the person who had made that vow was holy to the Lord. That means in that period, he was completely sanctified to God in the Jewish custom. And so what the elders said to Paul in Acts chapter 21 was that he paid all the expenses of these four men who had made the Nazarite vow to prove to the other Jews that he too was zealous for the customs of the Jews. Now then, it looks as though in Acts chapter 18, what Paul had done was also to make the Nazarite vow. And when he reached Ephesus, uh, when he reached Sancre, he then completed his Nazarite vow, shaved his head. And what's implied then is that he too 
paid all the expenses for uh, getting, leaving or completing the Nazarite vow. Now he would then have made that Nazarite vow while he was in Corinth. Remember that Corinth was where he preached at the synagogue and then the leader of the synagogue believed in Christ but the, some others were abusive towards him and stirred up other Jews to go against him. And Paul then left to preach to the Gentiles. But it looks as though then that even as Paul was preaching to the Gentiles, he tried his very best to placate the Jews and especially to support the Jewish Christians there by taking the Nazarite vow and showing that he too was faithful to the customs of the Jews. So here is the rub. Paul had taught that Gentiles would no longer be required to be circumcised. The Gentiles would not be required to observe Jewish customs. But that would have been so painful for the other Jews, Jewish believers, because it's almost like the moment you become a Christian, we change all the customs, we walk out on our old way of life, we leave everything, even the ones that are good, and they would feel very hurt. To Paul, Circumcision meant nothing at all, no longer as a Christian. And so you could be free to be a Christian without being circumcised. On the other hand, it didn't mean that because circumcision was nothing, it, didn't, it no longer meant that you shouldn't be circumcised. If you want to be circumcised according to your customs, go ahead and continue to be. If you are a Jew, and you have become a Christian, but you want to live within your own community of Jews, then Paul was saying to them, well, go ahead, because I too was born a Jew and I remain a Jew. And because of that, I will show you how much of a Jew I am, that I would be prepared to take the Nazarite vow for a certain period to be holy unto the Lord, that was important for the Jews. So what Paul was trying to show the Jewish Christians was that he himself was a zealous Jew all the way. Just because he became a Christian, just because he was reaching out to Gentiles, just because he told the Gentiles that it was not necessary to be a Jew or to follow Jewish customs, didn't mean that he no longer was a Jew. Huh. What Paul was doing was straddling on both sides. On the side of the Gentiles, he was telling them, it's fine, God, Christ has made you free, and therefore you are free not to be circumcised. But on the other side, he was telling the Jews too, that Christ has made you free, and in being free, you are, it's okay for you to continue in the customs of the Jews. I have not left Judaism, I am still a Jew. But to the Gentiles, they can join us as well without following Judaism, Judaic, Judaic rules. Paul was trying to help both sides come to receive Christ without being offended, without the stumbling blocks of each other's customs and traditions. It reminds me of John Wesley where John Wesley, though he stood for his principles, 
refused to leave the Anglican Church. He was kicked out eventually, but even so, he died an Anglican priest, though Methodism broke off from Anglicanism in a large way, and they went to the masses. That was John Wesley's convictions. But he did not want to renounce Anglicanism. He maintained that he was still an Anglican, Anglican priest. There is an important lesson to learn from this. That we try, though we be Christians and though we be set free and though there are new customs and new observances as a Christian, we try our very hardest not to cause offence to the people, to the culture, and to the people whom we have left. It's a very difficult decision because on the one hand, that decision to be a Christian may require us to make changes to our lives. On the other hand, we also do not want it to be our faith to be a stumbling block to the people who have loved us, who have, whom we have grown with, grown up with. And so we try to straddle the two in the hope, not so much that we don't want to get into trouble, Paul was willing to take any trouble, but in the hope that by a gentle approach, others may also, from our culture, we come to see that becoming a Christian doesn't mean becoming harsh, doesn't mean neglecting the ways of the people, the culture that we grew up in. I remember a story of one of my very close friends. He was, um, he was chairman, missions chair, in fact, in the LCC in one of our churches. He married a Muslim girl. Now this Muslim girl was um, very um, was the star of the Muslim community. She was like the poster girl. The Muslims thought very highly of this girl. And of course, when they married, uh, there was a huge scandal on both sides: the church side and the Muslim side. But what they did was a very wise thing although it was controversial. The girl remained in the Muslim community. She continued highlighting the strengths and the goodness of the Muslim community. She continued to make the Muslim community feel proud of her as one of their own. But in her heart and in her life, she had become a Christian. And so she joined in to pray with her husband without going to church too often. She continued to love Jesus very much in her heart. But as a part of the Muslim community, she continued to join in the Muslim community. And she did not publicly renounce her being a Muslim. They knew, the leaders knew that she was a Christian. She did not hide that. But by not making them lose face, by caring for the sensitivities, she continued to keep the peace. I realized it was a very, very difficult decision for her, but she did her best to let her community know that she has not stepped out of their community, that she was not going to embarrass them or shame them, but that she had embraced Jesus Christ as her Lord, 
because she believed in him. Some of you may say, well, she should have made a clear stand. She did make a clear stand to the leaders, but this was still her community, and she wanted as much as possible to offend them as little as possible. There were things that she had to do that would make difference, just as there were things that Paul had to do that would offend, necessarily offend the Jews. But he minimized that as far as possible. By taking the Nazarite vow, Paul showed the Jews that he was still sanctified, made holy to the Lord as a Jew. The hope had always been that then the Jews would come to Christ with, without being unduly offended. And this is a very important principle. Once again, I mentioned before that in Christianity, we have to use our minds, we have to use our discretion, and one decision may differ from another based on the circumstances, but based largely on our love for God and our love for others. But you know, this applies in many other areas as well. One of the things that applies to is our relationship with our closest family who are not Christians. Jesus gave an example. In Matthew chapter 15, he talked about people who were supporting their parents and giving their parents money. But the moment they decided to give God the money, they took the money off the support for their parents and said, sorry, we're not supporting you anymore because we have decided that the money which we're meant to give you is now to be given to God. This is what he says. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honour your father and mother. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And then he quotes from the prophet and says, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. The teachings are merely human rules. So Jesus was saying that some people, when they gave money to, the ch to, to God, they would take that money from their parents and no longer support them and say, well, too bad, this is from God. And he said that these people do not honour me. In, in appearances, they may be loving me by giving me the money, loving God by giving God the money. But in their hearts, they have just dishonoured their parents and they robbed their parents. The principle then is that when we become Christian or when we want to obey God or when we want to give to God, we must try as little as possible to offend, to cause offence to those around us. But rather that if we were to give to God, then we pay the price for our giving, for our love for God, for our discipleship. What Jesus meant then is this, that if you have been supporting your parents all the while, and then you become a Christian, and now you want to give to the church, you want to give to God, you pay the price, you take whatever extra to give to God, whatever you can. But don't ever take it off your parents and say, sorry, now that I'm a Christian, I have to give to God. And so I 
have to stop supporting you. That would be so wrong. Because in the eyes and in the hearts of the parents then, it would be like, Christianity is a terrible religion. And I actually heard this as an undergrad. I heard complaints about why people, why parents did not want their children to be Christian. Because they said that when my children become Christian, they no longer support me. They take their money and they give to the church. That would be a terrible thing. Because if we were in our obedience to deprive someone, to make someone suffer, to pay for my obedience to God, that would cause them to stumble and that would be very wrong. But rather, if I love God and am devoted to God and I want to give to God, then I give extra from what I have. I do not make somebody else pay for my love for God. We get this principle, right? And it applies in other things, like for young people. Often when we become Christian, we become very zealous for God and very active for God. And sometimes we spend every night out in Christian fellowship, in Christian service, and doing great things for God. But the result is our parents no longer, your parents no longer see you. You're never at home. You're always in church. You're always in church fellowship and various practices and various um, service to the Lord. And what happens is that the parents no longer see you. That would be very wrong. I would say that continue to honour your parents with your time at home. Continue to honour your parents by studying hard for your exams. And that's the other thing. When you become a Christian, it doesn't mean then that you stop studying and then you can fail your exams for the sake of Christ. It doesn't work that way. You keep your obligations to your parents, to your life, to your teachers, to your studies at that period. And then you make sacrifices in your own private time and give that to the Lord. I remember, you know, Pastor Darren who came to speak to us. When he was in my church in Angbokyo um, and he was in charge of the youth, he made one principle to, to the students that if you do not finish your homework at home, you don't come and attend cell group. You see, cell group in that time was so exciting. Every youth, young person wanted to attend cell group because that was time of fellowship, of friendship, of growth. But he made this rule and it pleased the parents wonderfully that if you do not finish your homework, if you do not study properly during the rest of the week, then you are not allowed to attend cell group on cell group day. That really made the kids study very hard and work very hard the rest of the week so that their own leaders would allow them to attend cell group. I thought that was a really wonderful idea. If you want to sacrifice the Lord, you sacrifice yourself, what you have to the Lord. You don't take it off somebody else and say, too bad, I'm sorry, I'm giving, I'm giving to the Lord. I say this too to many of us who are grown-ups, whether husband or wife, that when you become a Christian or when you have a revival in your life and you want to be very zealous for the Lord, take that time of service from your own leisure time. Try as far as possible not to deprive your husband or your wife of the time with them. And so if you are in charge of cooking dinners, do not suddenly say to your husband or wife, sorry, I no longer can cook for you, I no longer can care for you, I no longer can spend time with you because all my time has gone to church and is devoted to God. 
that would be very wrong. As far as possible, when you live as a Christian, cause as little offence to anyone around you, but rather let them know that your becoming a Christian has actually blessed their lives, has actually made their lives richer rather than poorer. And so, one more application for this principle. Of us, when we obey God, we pay the price for our obedience. I, heard, I know of an organization, a Christian organization, where um, st- it was a rather poor organization and the staff were very lowly paid. Well, one day, another Christian had a case against this organization and they threatened that this person, this individual, uh, threatened to sue the organization. The organization then got uh, legal advice and the legal and the lawyer told the board that the plaintiff, the one who had the claim against the organization, had no nothing to stand on, no legs to stand on, that his case was actually a very poor case. And that if they were to resist this plaintiff, this claimant, and allow him to take them to court, they would most certainly win the case. Nevertheless, as the board met together to discuss the case, they decided to apply 1 Corinthians 6 about no lawsuits among Christians, that they would settle the cases as amicably as possible. And so they made a settlement with the claimant, a very generous, one would say God-affirming um, settlement with the claimant. It was in their eyes a great act of grace that not only would they not resist the claim and have it decided in court, they would offer him a good settlement. Problem was this that this settlement was made at the expense of the organization, which meant that the money to settle the claim came from the organization. And for that year, because the organization had very little money left, the staff did not get their annual bonuses. Now, in the eyes of the board members then, it was a very noble thing to do. They obeyed 1 Corinthians 6. They avoided a lawsuit. In fact, they, they turned the other cheek. They were very generous in settling the claim. But you obviously know how bad this decision was because they weren't the ones who paid for their love of God or for their obedience to God. It was the staff who ended up paying for it by losing their their bonuses. And so while the, the board members could pat themselves on the back that they had turned the other cheek, that they had gave, given the other cloak, that they had avoided a lawsuit, it was the staff who paid for the obedience of the directors. That is a terrible thing, in fact. When I heard about it, I mean, I felt so sad and was so disgusted, really, because it seemed on the surface great obedience to God. But no one, none of those who made that decision paid the price for their obedience to God. They made somebody else pay for their own obedience. When we love God, when we want to walk in God's ways, we must be prepared to pay the price and to pay extra for our love for God and our obedience to God. 
and hence to avoid as possible anything that would cause others to stumble, others to take offence. There are times, of course, when we cannot help it, and then we must make that stand. But whenever we make such a stand, we think in love, we make considerations out of love for God, but also love for those around us. Paul took a Nazarite vow because he did not want to offend the Jews, the community that he grew up in. There were many times when he had to offend them, but he did it not out of malice, not out of glee, out of necessity. Otherwise, everything he did would still be loving towards his community. And he continued to do that later on by showing the Jews that he was a zealous Jew still. He was still part of their community. May we also, in our considerations for giving to the Lord, standing up for the Lord, loving the Lord, also, as far as possible, avoid making others pay for our obedience to God. Avoid causing offence to others because of our love for the Lord. Let us pray. Father, help us to know how to balance the two greatest commandments, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and our neighbour as ourselves. Because God, there will be so many times when we will have to make one choice or the other, where when we love you, we may offend our neighbour. Help us then, Lord, that even in loving you, we may look for all the possibilities of avoiding offending our neighbour. But we may find all ways of being a blessing to our neighbours, even when we love you and follow you. And that, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to guide us in making these decisions. Because, Lord, we live in a culture that is so different from the Christian culture. We live among people who believe in other gods, who have other customs. And God, when we become your disciples, people who love you, there's so many times when we may end up offending those whom we grew up with. We pray then for wisdom. We pray that you teach us how to be faithful to you and to be loving to those around us especially for those with whom we have grown up, those who have given of themselves to care for us, our parents, our siblings, our extended family. That in becoming your disciple, they may too know that they have been blessed and they have not, they have not been losers or been poorer for our loving you. We need your guidance, Lord, at each decision. There are so many of these decisions that we have to make when we straddle our culture, our family, the people who do not know you. And we straddle that with loving you and becoming your children. We ask that you guide us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.
Have a blessed week. And God bless you. Goodbye.